0: Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. Now, there, there are a few things that dra- drive me crazier than inconsistency. Um, I don't like when things don't work every single time that you go to use them. Uh, When I was in college, I drove a 1994 Dodge Spirit. So like it was a chick magnet of a car. Uh, And if you've never seen a Dodge Spirit, there's a good reason they don't make them anymore because they're terrible cars. Uh, And the only thing inconsistent about this car was the fact that it didn't work, that it was... It was inconsistent. Um, The window, when you would roll the window down, you had to hold the window in place because it would just kind of bow like this as it would, you'd roll the window down and fall into the door. you have to open the door, pull the window back up by force. You actually had to crank the window down. That's how old this car was. Um, You never know if the car would start or not. Uh, Was the car gonna overheat? And I was kind of told, like, really, you shouldn't drive this car more than about an hour, but I was a dumb college kid and I drove that car all over the Southeast. Uh, But I hated that car because it was so deeply inconsistent. And I I couldn't trust it. I couldn't trust whether this car was gonna get me from point A to point B or not. And when you can't count on something or you can't count on someone, it makes it hard to trust them. It makes it hard for me to trust that car, much like if there's inconsistency in relationships, it makes it really difficult to trust that person. Uh, The consistency is key to relationships because it allows for trust to grow inside of that relationship. And one way is, is will this person show up? Will I actually show up to the places that I say I'm going to be when I say I'm going to be there? And if you don't show up in that way, it kind of makes it hard to trust or grow in friendship. I had a friend who was in college who was a great friend, but he'd answer the phone like one out of every five times that I would call. And when we hung out, we had the best time ever. We have incredible memories. We still laugh if we talk, but he was there one out of every five times that I needed him. And so, so there's a consistency of spending time with people, but there's also sort of a consistency of character. Will you be the same person all the time? Will you be the same person in this place as you are over here? Will you, be, will you do what you say you will do? And the thing with the inconsistency is that it is a relationship killer. Inconsistency kills our relationships. And I believe that this is even true within the church, that the inconsistency of faith can damage our relationships with each other. And we see this with Abraham in our text this morning, that Abraham is a very inconsistent person. At some points, we see Abraham as this spiritual giant. He's doing incredible things for God. And then the next minute, he is failing miserably. His faith is this giant roller coaster of great highs of incredible things, and the next minute is great lows where he continues to fall back into the same mistakes and patterns over and over and over again. Now, it's easy for us to be critical of my friend or my 1994 Dodge spirit or or Abraham. It's easy for us to be critical of the inconsistency in others, but we often give ourselves a pass for the inconsistency in our own lives. How many times have you made the same mistakes? How many times have you done it? Once, twice, dozens of times, probably more times than you could possibly count. Have you ever hurt another person because of repeated failures or repeated mistakes or repeated missteps? Have you ever been hurt by other people who've done the same thing where it just seems like you're going through the same relational pattern over and over and over again? And we look at someone like Abraham, who's supposed to be God's chosen person for this moment, and we look at his life and the inconsistency of his faith, and we're like, man, if this guy can't do it, what kind of hope is there for me? How am I going to live out this? Because has your faith ever faltered? You fall into that same sin again and again, and you swear that it's going to be different next time, but it's just not. And we see that like Abraham, the inconsistency of our faith affects our relationships, And we're even going to see this in the church. If you're fairly new to City on a Hill, I'm just going to tell you right now, we're not a perfect church. We don't have it all together. Nobody in this room has their life completely buttoned up and just never hurts anybody else. We don't try to hurt people, but it it happens. If you get into close friendship with people, there are be times where you don't see eye to eye. And as the church, there are a few things that we, we can do. There are a few choices that we honestly have when it comes to how we deal with these things. We can just be people who ignore problems. I'm just gonna kinda tuck my head in the sand, I'm just gonna overlook that, I'm gonna ignore the problem, I'm gonna ignore the person, and we're just not gonna deal with it. Just not gonna deal with it at all. The other way is we can just cancel people. I'm just gonna cancel other people, and anytime that someone offends me, I'm gonna cut them out of my life, and I'm just not gonna deal with that kind of drama. Or we can be people who learn how to make relationships right. We can be people who learn how to, because of the hope we have in Christ, make relationships right. And I believe that we don't have to choose between righting wrongs and righting relationships. That the gospel actually gives us a way to do this. Christianity gives us a way to deal with both our inconsistent faith and in restoring the relationships in our lives that are broken. So today we're going to look at three ideas. First is the problem of inconsistent faith. Secondly is the price of inconsistent faith. And finally, the pathway toward consistency in our faith. So firstly, as we look at the problem of inconsistent faith, we see that Abraham has been down this road before. If you look at chapter 20, verse 1, it says from there, Abraham was just outside of Sodom. Uh, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And so Abraham is is living nomadically. He travels a lot. Um, He he has TSA pre-check. He just goes through. He goes everywhere he needs to. He's moving down toward Egypt. He's moving toward, if you've been with us for a few weeks, we looked at Hagar's story in Genesis 16. This is the direction that Hagar had been running toward Egypt, about 50 miles southwest. And it seems like every time that Abraham's situation changes, his faith is challenged. Look at verse 2. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. We have seen this before. You go all the way back to chapter 12, right after Abraham is called by God, they go to Egypt, he's put in a similar situation, and Pharaoh takes his wife because Abraham says that she is my sister. And we see in verse 13 that this seems to be his fallback plan whenever a challenge comes into his life. It says in verse 13, and when God... Caused me to wander from my father's house. I asked, I asked I said to her, talking to about Sarah, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. When he is backed into a corner relationally, this seems to be what he runs to. So what was causing Abraham to, to run to this lie over and over again? What was the challenge that he was facing? We look at verse 11, at the end of verse 11, he says he believed that they will kill me because of my wife. Abraham is given into fear when his circumstances change and we sort of see this whiplash through the book of Genesis where one moment there's, there, he's living out his faith, he's exhibiting incredible faith in Sodom. He's standing before God and interceding for other people. We see him rescuing Lot, these mighty acts of, of big faith But it seems like when it gets to the everyday stuff in life, he just crumbles. He falters. When he gets to the everyday uncertainty of life, Abraham's life falters. And what he does is he he grabs onto something he feels like he can control. When does your faith become inconsistent? Maybe you're like Abraham, and it's when your situation changes. You like routine, you like pattern, you like predictability. You like when the water is just nice and calm. That, that's when you like life. But when doubt or something different enters into your life, you begin to come, become anxious. When uncertainty hits your life, you're, you're just not sure what's gonna happen next, you're given into fear. And maybe you're one of those people who you run through all the worst possible scenarios in your head and got to, you're just trying to figure out, how do I get myself out of this situation? Alistair Begg says that circumstance and stress revealed what was in Abram's heart. And it's the same thing for us. Circumstance and stress reveal what we trust the most. And like Abraham, we all tend to run back to an old, trusted, faithful pattern of life that has gotten us out of a jam before. And so for Abraham, it's kind of this sister-wife scheme. He says, she's not actually my wife, she's my sister. Now to us, that's weird. Like we look at that and go, that's super strange. It was all not that uncommon in the ancient world. And oftentimes they would use something like this because in the ancient world, power and sex were connected. If you were a powerful person, you could kind of get whatever you wanted to. And so if someone wanted your wife, they would just kill you. Because in that world, adultery was actually a capital offense. So if you were to sleep with someone else's wife, you could be put to death. But in this kind of weird, strange logic, he's like, well, if I kill her husband, uh, then I can have her as my wife. Some sort of, you know, that's just a problem. Let's erase the problem uh, and, and that pesky husband that she has. And the reason that Abraham keeps running back to the same scheme over and over and over again is it worked. It worked. It worked for a little while. It says in verse 13, he did this at every place to which we come. It worked for just a little while because it would work and it would get him out of initial trouble, but eventually he'd get found out. And eventually the illusion of safety he thought that this lie would bring gets taken away. So what do you run back to and rely on again and again? In those moments, we look for something to cling to, something to trust, something to steady you, something that you grab onto, and we need to understand that that is faith. Every person is a person of faith, and when we think of a person of faith in our society, we think of a person who's a Christian or maybe some other religion, but every single person lives by faith. Every single person trusts in something when life gets murky, and every act of faith is this, is turning from one thing to another. It's turning from trust in something to something else. And in these moments, we can often flip from trusting God toward trusting our ability to just get a lot of work done. I'm going to bury my head at work, at the office. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can, and I'm just going to ignore all the problems I have. I'm going to flip from trusting in the Lord to being a person who just plans and strategizes hard. Has anybody here made a spreadsheet or something and just never used it? It was like a, cath- a cathartic experience. Yeah, I-, I see the hands. We just do that because like, I can trust that. I can trust my ability to strat. And these are God-given gifts, but I can-, I can trust this. We flip from trusting Jesus to trusting other people. I'm gonna lean too much on other people instead of trusting that God will see me through. And for some of us, we trust in what I call the cocoon. We, we trust in the security of our, of our own little world and we just hold ourselves away and we throw the walls up so that nobody else can get inside. And the problem with every single one of those false saviors is they're designed to fail. They work for a little while, but they eventually fail you. In, in the tech and the appliance world, this is called planned obsolescence. You have that cell phone that's just gonna last you for a few years and you notice, it feels like someone slowed my phone down. It feels like that washing machine has worked for like 14 minutes. And all of a sudden, and the reason is, is that they were designed to work that way. They're designed to work for just a little while, then eventually they begin to slow down and become less reliable. And what you're eventually forced to do is upgrade. And that's our solution when it comes to all of those things that we turn to in order to get us through life, is that, well, I just need an upgrade. I I just need a better job. It pays more money and has better hours. I just, I need bigger. I just need a newer version of that. But what did Paul say in Romans 10? He said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He didn't say a few of the people who call on the Lord. He didn't say some of the people who call. He didn't say you might be or probably will be or there's a good chance. He says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that is talking about eternally God taking our sins away once and for all because of what Christ did on the cross for us. But Jesus is also walking with us daily, pursuing us and leading us to life, rescuing us from the the power of sin. He's the one who sees us through. He's the, the hope for our unsteady faith as the one who gives us steadfast love. He's the anchor for our souls. And so what does an anchor do? It tethers you. And it keeps you from being blown about when the stresses of life are beating you down. The problem for our, uh, the solution to the problem of our inconsistent faith is the work of Christ. But secondly, we also see that there's a price of, of our inconsistent faith. Your faith doesn't just affect you. We tend to think of faith as this kind of solo sport. We think of it like tennis. Like I say, as, as this is a single individual sport. But faith is also a team sport. We are in this together. We often think, who cares what I do or what I believe? But what you trust in most actually impacts every area of your life. Um, it's like the soil that you plant a, a, a plant or a flower in uh, is actually the most important factor for that plant. Uh, in our old neighborhood in Birmingham, we had this walk that we'd walk around our neighborhood and there was this one hill as you walk back toward our house, and had these beautiful blue hydrangeas. I always wanted to walk by there because I know like the kids loved it, Amy loved it. And it was just beautiful. And I, and I look, I, I mean, I'm like, cool, it's a flower, but I had never seen blue hydrangeas before. I was actually kind of taken in by them. And I always kind of wondered what causes the color of a hydrangea to be different from one place to the next. And I do what we all do, we just Google it. And I look it up and it's the pH level. The pH level of the soil changes the color of the flower. And so some flowers are white, some flowers are blue, some flowers are pink, these hydrangeas are beautiful. But as you look on, the soil actually determines the health of the plants. It determines the nutrients that the plant's getting. It determines the, the water filtration if it's actually able to get the water that it needs. And so the soil is what you're trusting in to help the plant flourish. You're trusting that the plant's going to be steady and help the or the soil's going to be steady and help the plant move towards. Flourishing. And so it, it determines the, the health of everything that's planted in it. And so imagine that every time that you didn't like the way the plant looked, you ripped the plant out of the soil and tried to plant it in another pot. That's going to be pretty traumatic for the plant, right? It's not meant to go back and forth and back and forth. That's the same thing, way with everything in our lives. Every time we root up the things in our life from what we're actually trusting them and planting it in something else, it hurts those things. There's a price to be paid. And the first price we see in the text this morning is it hurts others. We see Sarah at the end of verse 2. The Abimelech king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. How many times is Abraham going to put his wife in jeopardy? How many times is he going to risk her life, as verse 11 says, for his own sake? Every time things get hard, every time... Things get uncertain. He shifts the responsibility onto Sarah and says, You've got to get me out of this situation instead of trusting God. He shifts all of his hopes, his dreams, his safety and security onto her. He ends up hurting her because he shifts where his hope is found. Abraham, in this strangely codependent way, ends up hurting her. And we see this in the patterns of our inconsistent faith. What we trust in, it usually ends up hurting those who are closest to us because they're the ones who experience us most. So he hurts Sarah, but he also hurts Abimelech. Now Abimelech, if you look at the text here, is probably the name of the king. It's like being called Caesar or being called the president. Um, But we see that Abraham nearly leads him into sin. Nearly leads him to death. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. The fact that Abraham was living inconsistently, almost led to this guy's demise. But it's not just him. If you look at verse 18, it's all of Abimelech's kingdom, the entire kingdom of Gerar. It says, for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. His sin, his inconsistency actually had far-reaching impact on people that he had never even met. And so there are two ways that inconsistent faith hurts other people. One is, is when you actually commit sin against someone. There are times that we outwardly sin against another person. You lie, you use them, you gossip about them, you treat them poorly, you, you get backed into a corner and you, just, you don't treat them in the way that God has, would, at, would like you to treat them as somebody made in his image. So there's, that's one way we do it. The other way is sort of a lack of spiritual awareness. You're, you're hurting people and you don't even know you're doing it. And the, what happens when we're not being consistent and we're not putting our hope and faith in Christ and, and for the everyday stuff of life is you hurt other people by not being attuned to what's going on in their heart and what's going on in yours. You're, you're not attuned to the ways that you hurt others. You're not attuned to the way that you may come across to another person you're more focused on what's going on in your life and and the opportunities to serve other people get overlooked. And this can be when when you're callous. This can be when you feel carefree. This can be when you're just consumed with the trials of everyday life. And so what might you be missing because you're taking your eyes off of Jesus? You panic and you go internal when life gets hard and you push other people away. You become defensive and you hurt other people, or maybe you're just kind of rocking along and you think you're doing great and you don't feel like you need Jesus right now and you may be missing others who do. It hurts other people. The second price is inconsistent faith hurts your witness. Abraham is to be God's witness to the world. We see the, the pattern that God is building through Abraham is that there would be a people who bless all nations, that all nations would find their blessing in him. He's God's chosen servant. Those who bless Abraham would be blessed. Those who curse him would be cursed. This is the first time that the term prophet has been used in this passage of anybody in the Bible. And so you can understand why Abimelech is really confused. He's wondering, why would you do this to me? And so he's, he's floored. If you look at verse 9, he says, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. The way that Abraham was living was so out of step with who Abraham claimed to be. He was out of step with the God who had called him and to the point that Abimelech saying, why would you treat me this way? Why would you act so out of sorts with what you claim to believe? Is the way that you interact with others consistent with your faith when you go to work, when you're hanging out in the neighborhood when you're at the grocery store or the coffee shop or the bar? Are you the same person there that you are here on Sunday? So when others see Christians living in ways that are out of step with what we say we believe, it hurts our witness. Now, I'm not saying that you need to pretend. I'm not saying you need to pretend to be better than you are. I'm not saying you need to, like, fake it there and fake it here. I'm not saying that you just need to just give up and live however you want to live. But we need to understand that in this, There's a freedom that comes with this. There's an invitation to freedom being offered to us when we see that our lives are inconsistent, when we see that we've hurt other people, when we see that our witness is not what we want it to be. And we see that, lastly, there's a pathway toward consistent faith. There's a pathway toward consistently applying what you believe, and that pathway is the pathway of repentance. Repentance is a gift to us because it's God's means to allow us to be made right with him and with other people. And so repentance is partly saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, I'm, I, I, I show contrition for what I've done. But it's also turning to faith in Jesus. And here's what repentance allows you to do that simply saying sorry doesn't. It allows you to look at a, another person and not make an excuse. You can look at somebody else and say, you know what? That's exactly what I'm like. Because what I know I want to do when I'm wrong is I want to shift the blame to somebody else. I I want to excuse it away. You know, I was just having a bad day. I hadn't had my coffee. It was that Thursday of the fasting where I couldn't drink it. It's Pastor Stephen's fault. I I want to downplay it. I want to ignore it. I want to do anything but face it head on. But what the gospel allows you to do is say, yes, I am that sinful, but Jesus is that gracious. We're not called to be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. And what our neighbors need is not our perfection, not even our promises to be better next time. Our neighbors need our repentance, our humble repentance and willingness to say, I am wrong and I need a savior. And he's the one who gives grace to all of us. And this is why Jesus said that the way to prepare for the kingdom in Mark chapter one was to repent and believe the gospel to repent and believe that there is one who's coming, who's lived the way that you and I can never live and will die the death that we deserve and raise again to new life. And what this means is that as we repent, what God begins to do is he begins to do a work in us that begins to bring together what we say we believe in the way that we actually live. And repentance is turning from one thing to another. It's turning from one way of living to another way of living. And repentance allows you to reconcile with God and with others, saying, I'm going to turn from my selfishness. I'm going to turn from my pride. I'm going, to turn from, um, I'm going to turn from all these other things, and I'm going to make things right because of what Jesus has done for me. And so learning to reconcile our hurts and learning to, um, to deal with conflict is one of the greatest skills that we can learn in 2023. We live in a world that doesn't really understand how to make things right. And I think as Christians, we have a way through the gospel to do this. I want to just go through this very practically, quickly, four steps toward reconciling relationships through the gospel. What does this look like? Firstly, you have to assess your heart and actions. Assess your heart and actions. Look at verse 4. We see that sometimes you assess your heart and you realize that you haven't done anything terribly wrong. Verse four, uh, now Abimelech had not approached her. He had not had relations with her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Abimelech starts by declaring his innocence. And on one hand, he's right. On one hand, he is righteous. He does have integrity in this moment. But if you notice, God kind of warns him. He says, he says in verse 6, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not, did not let you touch her. What can often happen in moments where we declare our own righteousness is we shift over into pride. We can examine our hearts, and we need to examine our hearts for the reason why we've not acted unjustly. It's, it's God who keeps us. But if you look at your heart long enough, you actually begin to see below the surface. And what Abimelech actually begins to see is that though he is innocent in one matter, he's not innocent in another. And God actually reveals to him that if you continue down this path, you're going to continue into the path of disobedience. So You have to assess your heart and assess your actions. Secondly is you have to address the hurt or address the person who hurts you verse eight, and I'll give Abimelech a lot of credit for this. He goes, it says, so Abimelech rose early in the morning. He just immediately went and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. He goes immediately to the person. And in the verses nine and 10, he lays all his complaints out before Abraham. And we need to understand this about reconciling and making things right. Repentance doesn't mean being a doormat. In fact, actually, I think you need to lay out all the problems that have occurred. It's okay to confront someone who hurts you. It's okay for someone to come to you and say, You've hurt me. This is the only way that actually leads to healing is to address the hurt that caused it in the first place. And that may take some time. It may take some time and it may take multiple conversations as you're talking with someone. And it's a, a forgiveness and repentance is a little bit like an onion. You've got to peel back one layer after the other over time. So you have to address the hurt. Thirdly, you have to admit specific wrongs. Verse 11, Abraham kind of poorly begins to admit the things that he did. He says in verse 11, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. It's kind of a backhanded, uh, 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 you know, admittance of his, of his wrongs. He says, I, I prejudged you. I thought that none of you would actually treat me kindly. Verse 12, he says, I told you a half lie. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she she became my wife. That relational calculus is a little too hard to figure out, but he admits what he did wrong. And he's saying, I I, I was afraid. I was scheming. I had a lack of faith. I should have trusted God and not in my own plans. Here are the specific ways that I have sinned against you. And when we ask someone for forgiveness, or someone asks forgiveness of us, we need to admit specific wrongs. Lastly is to acknowledge the need to make things right. We see Abimelech, who honestly in this whole scheme is probably the least sinful person between him and Abraham. It says he took sheep and oxen, and male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And he acts so much differently than Pharaoh in chapter 12, because in verse 15, Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you, Dwell where it pleases you. He makes things right with Abraham, but then he also goes on to make things right with Sarah. It says in verse 16, to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It it is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. He wanted to go above and beyond to make sure things were made right. Do you know how far it would go in our relationships and in our city if we could be people who could look at our own hearts and be honest, who could go to another person that we've hurt or let someone come to us that's hurt us and exchange forgiveness and go above and beyond to make things right. Do you know the shocking humility of that? And here's why it's the gospel at work in you because the first step to consistent faith is admitting that you're inconsistent. It's admitting that you've messed up, that you're not as godly as you want to be, that it's not about your goodness, but you, like in verse 6, need someone to help you and call you and consider you innocent. And what happens is your eyes are turned, to the, are turned toward the cross we see Jesus who died for our inconsistencies with steadfast love, who knew our hearts inside and out, who knows the ways that our sins hurt God and others, who knows every specific wrong that you've ever committed and paid for them with his very own blood. And here's what repentance leads to two things. First of all, is healing. Verses 17 and 18. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God uses sinful, inconsistent Abraham to pray for the healing of Abimelech. God heals others when we humbly repent and we seek to reconcile through the gospel. Secondly, it provides deeper relationship. And I don't have the time to read through the entire part of it, but if you look at chapter 21, verses 22 through 34, we see another conflict between Abraham and Abimelech. They have history. Their relationship could have ended at the end of chapter 20, but because of the gospel's work in them, they were able to press through a harsh situation so that later on they could face another struggle because they had been there before city on a hill can be a church where we wrestle together through the hard stuff, where we have disagreements, where we have conflict, where we offend each other, where we hurt each other. And again, not because we're trying to, but because we're human and we can come out on the other side with deeper relationships rooted in gospel hope. We'd be a place where we apply the gospel and ask for forgiveness and give grace because Jesus has forgiven us. It's real healing and deeper relationship. Let's we'll